Hey, what's up? I'm Ofosu Jones-Corte. And I'm Leah Santa Cruz. We are the Meditation Coaches on the Balance app. And this is our weekly show, Well Balanced, where we explore ways to live a healthier and happier life. And today, I want to talk about how working with a particular group of people helped me learn how meditation can really only be effective when you adapt it to the individual. Yeah, completely agree. So what was the group that you worked with? So a few years back, pre-pandemic, I worked through the city of Washington, D.C., District of Columbia, with a group of formerly incarcerated persons who Mm. were back in the world and they wanted to make a positive difference in their communities. And they were experiencing a high level of stress re-entering their communities. They were also experiencing stress in the work that they were trying to do to prevent young people from following the same paths that Mm -hmm. led them to be incarcerated. So it was a measure taken by the city to give some mental health and resilience and de-stress resources uh, to this group of people. In my ignorance, I approach this situation with like a one-size-fits-all approach to mindfulness. I I'd led workshops for teachers, led workshops for students. I've led workshops for administrators. Many different ages groups too. Exactly. Yeah. So I just felt like, okay, I'll get to know this group, but I'll come in with, um, you know, with the standard things. And one of those standards was to have everybody sit quietly with their eyes closed and mm. uh, and breathe. And that mm. seems, you know, simple enough. And it seems logical enough if you're going to do a um, mindfulness workshop. But I found that a good amount of the people participating really had a hard time with sitting still with their eyes closed. Mm-hmm. And I also found out that the emphasis on silence and quiet was triggering for for some of them. And they were really kind in how they were letting me know that this was difficult for them. And I thought at first that it's like, oh, you're you're new to meditation, so it's difficult in that way. Gotcha. And my colleague, to her credit also, she kind of saw a bigger picture than what I was able to see. And she was like, no, I, I think that I think that they're saying more than what you're hearing. Mm. And as I listened to them more, I could tell that, you know, just this whole setup was re-traumatizing them in in many ways. And what I came to find out is that being perfectly still and not making any noise reminded some of them of solitary confinement. Uh, Closing their eyes um, made them feel unsafe because of how alert you need to be yeah. when you're incarcerated. It all and, and it also reminded them of just the the loneliness that they felt. Yeah. But I'm a firm believer that mindfulness and meditation, you know, if they are valid life tools, they should be adaptable. So what did you end up doing with them as an alternative? Yeah. So this was a predominantly African American group of folks. I felt that like culturally music and movement is something that a lot of Mm -hmm. black people have cultural comfort with. So we started to do like a feelings mixtape. 
So basically, however you're feeling in any given moment, you know, what's the song you would associate with that? And we'd compile these songs. And then at the end of a session, we'd, we'd have a little mixtape and we'd play that. And we would do mindful movement, you know, to that mixtape. So we definitely found that mindful movement was mm-hmm. a better alternative to abject stillness. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I found in my own um, practice as a as a meditation teacher and working with many different groups, and I end up working with a lot of women. Mm. And so many of us have experienced trauma in our lives. It can, it, you know, you have that big T and little T trauma, and yeah. not one is more necessarily important than the other. They both create emotions and physical sensations and the memories and the emotions live in our bodies. And so getting up and moving the body allows for some freedom, some feeling of like, okay, I can, I can move this through me, you know, I can be with it, but I can also be in motion and breathe. And what I've learned as well as, is how important movement is. And so I've been adapting it into a lot of meditations that I, that I guide. And I know we've been doing that in the, in the balance app too. We have some mindful movements that we offer there, but I think we can't stress the importance of it. And I've also noticed with the eyes closed, I remember having uh, several people in my classes who would come regularly in my in-person classes. And I would inevitably open my eyes at some point while teaching and they'd just be staring right at me. (laughs) (laughs) It was a little bit surprising at first, but then I realized, you know, that's their practice and they feel more comfortable with their eyes open. So who am I to tell them that you need to close your eyes yeah. Because that doesn't feel safe for some people and it feels forced. Yeah, you know, it it I think making these adaptations with um with this group saved the series because it was a long commitment and it was almost just kind of dead in the water based on trying to go that traditional approach. And for me, I come from a background, how I learned how to practice meditation was very traditional. So it did take some like on the spot thinking of how to adjust. And I kind of thought like, well, because I experienced interacting with my own trauma in meditation as well, just kind of re-traumatizing myself in meditation and trying to suppress uh, intrusive thoughts and running away from anxious feelings. Eventually it got too intense for me and I just quit practicing formally for almost two years and then came back to it really, really softly. Yeah, so when you came back to it, were you kind of like, did you adapt different ways? Like, did you add movement or like, what did you do differently for yourself? It was more of a mindset change for me. Mm -hmm. Like I said, you know, it's not important that I sit for 50 minutes every day, multiple times a day. Like I just reduced my time. Yeah. And I just had a gentler attitude with myself. That was the 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 big thing. Mm. By this time, I was seeing a therapist to help me with those other issues. So I wasn't trying to fix everything in the meditation space. Mm. And I was allowing music to be a part of the experience for me. There were a few things, but it was a softer approach. Yeah, you know, it's inevitable at some point in our meditation journey that old wounds and and emotions come up to surface because they need to be processed and released. But without having the tools to know how to ground ourselves, I think it can be overwhelming. And I certainly have felt that as well. And there was the the tendency to want to just blast through it. But then I've, I've also found that being compassionate and being like the nurturing parent for myself that I yeah. need in that moment is has been really the biggest help 
for me. Yeah. And to be able to witness our inner world and our inner sensations. So we can recognize like, oh, I have some, I have some control over this. I, I can notice how heavy I feel when I, when I pay attention to gravity and feel really grounded to the earth. And then I can also notice what it's like to feel really light and floating in the next moment. And then just going back and forth between those feelings. So yeah. being in that seat of the observer and being just that space of awareness allows us to feel a bit of freedom from those the feelings of overwhelm that might come. The process that you just brought up is something that I'm seeing more and more in um, on retreats and with different teachers and people are bringing it to the, f to the fore. I'm sure there's many different phrases for it, but one of the terms that I've been more familiar with is titration, mm. where you are where you might be triggered and might be feeling a very intense emotion um, based on a previous trauma. And that feels so present but then instead of trying to dive headlong into it or be with it, you can open your eyes, you can look around, you can mm -hmm. engage your other senses and, and kind of keep playing this like touch and go with the primary feeling and then finding, okay, this doesn't feel like ease. So where is ease in my body? You know, yeah. right now my right elbow is not in, is not stressed out or feeling a lack of ease. It gives you relief and resilience because okay i can be with this difficult emotion or sensation for just a moment but i also have the power to step away from it and the trauma isn't happening in this moment just like you're saying all of this basically has formed the basis of what is now known as trauma-informed mindfulness yeah. and i think that it's been building amongst the community of practitioners and teachers you have people like David Trelevin who've ha written books about trauma-sensitive mindfulness. There was a study in 2016 that showed that trauma-informed mindfulness was a promising intervention for female survivors of interpersonal violence. Mm. So similar to the communities that you are teaching with a lot, uh, Leah. And a 2021 study showed that an eight-week mindfulness-based trauma-informed program uh, promoted resilience amongst women veterans with PTSD and chronic pain, mm. um, just improving their overall well-being. And I think as mindfulness and as meditation have become more popular, people are raising their voices to say that, well, these traditional approaches are not working for me. In in all honesty, it's part of what attracted me to um, to working with balance because it's this idea that the practice can adapt to what your needs are. I think we're, I mean, we're, we're still a long ways to go collectively, yeah. but you know, meditation in the Western world is still relatively new. I think in the last like 50 years, it's really become popularized and we're just starting to see us like in this step right now, the shifts of mindset that are taking place to go, oh, you know, maybe maybe we do need to adapt it a little bit more to our current needs and to yeah. our individual needs because we are a very eclectic world and we have different cultures and different backgrounds and different needs and different experiences. And so to think that it anything could be one size fits all yeah. is, is pretty silly almost. <laughs> so I'm glad that we're starting to wake up to that and that we can pave the way for this. Um, and bringing, bringing personal health and wellness to each person. Yeah. And recognize when you need to take breaks and recognize when, you know, maybe you do need to open your eyes. 
put on some soothing music, move your yeah. body, you know, maybe perhaps you you take a walk or you you exit the room if you need to. Yeah. You know? All of these are valid ways to bring mindfulness into your life. And I think if we remember why we are practicing mindfulness, you know, to 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 be more present and to be more kind. Whatever your ultimate goals are in bringing mindfulness into your life, there are so many ways that you can do it. Don't confine your view of what is valid in in practicing mindfulness as a as a way to su support you. Totally yeah. agree. Well, you know, I can talk about meditation with you all day, Leia. It's one of my favorite topics, and you're one of my favorite people to talk about it with. Same, same. Before we go, I want to check in with you, Leia. What is giving you life right now? Ooh. <laughs> well, I have a lot of friends and family coming into Bali to visit over the oh, next nice. coming weeks. And I'm just feeling like this uh, sense of bringing community together. I started a working mothers group here. And um, it's been a, a wave in my life where I'm going, okay, you know what? I'm I'm crawling out of that hole of isolation from COVID yeah. times and then being in the newborn and the baby bubble yeah. and wanting to connect more with people and individuals and feel like a deeper sense of community. And so that's what's really giving me life right now. That's awesome. Yeah. What about you, Ufosu? <laughs> um, life? Yeah, gosh, I asked this question, but now I have to think about it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got a performance happening and it's going to be a very like stripped down. It's just me, my singing bowls and um, a fellow musician that I've worked with a lot, a harpist named Kim Sator. And we're going to do a uh, a sound healing event and I'm just getting ready for that. And so Fun. that is giving me life. It's it's giving me life and a little bit of nervousness, but, but. Oh, that's the best kind of life. I mean, a little <laughs> thrilling, you know? Yeah, I'm on my toes. <laughs> and hey, you listening or watching, let us know what's giving you life right now. You can mm -hmm. drop a comment in the comments or message us on social media. We'd love to know what's giving you life right now. Yeah. And if you're not watching the podcast yet, please go check us out on YouTube. Our channel's called Balance and we've got a link to today's episode in the show notes. Or if you're on Spotify, you can see our video now when playing this episode in the app. If you want to get the latest audio versions of our episodes, you can follow wherever you get your podcasts. True, true. We'll be back next week. Until then, have a beautiful day and week. Don't forget to be kind to yourself. Take care. Peace. Ciao.